Hello and welcome to the Travelling Ergonomist podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Angra, and my job as an ergonomics consultant is to educate people on how to get their bodies into neutral postures. And in today's professional world, with the prominence of agile and remote working, ergonomics is more important than ever. So sit back, relax, and let's navigate the workplace together. Yeah, and I think the, the lines between the physical and the digital um, are blurring constantly. And I, I think that's that's great because I think that really brings some additional uh, value concepts that then benefit, uh, let's say, everyone. It's a win-win. It benefits the, the employees themselves and their health and well-being and productivity, which is first and foremost, of course, most important. But also, on the other hand, it, it benefits the ones who are actually making those investments. So, so um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in kind of Blurring, blurring the lines between <laughs> these two worlds. So my name is Elisa Renka. I work for Siemens uh, Digital Buildings and I'm responsible for our, um, uh, our workplace solutions for region Europe. So uh, at Siemens, we've done <clears throat> certain acquisitions uh, in the past uh, year and a half or so, uh, which target more the, let's say, the end user in the buildings and what we call buildings as an experience and so forth. Uh, and this is then what I, I kind of represent uh, for Europe. Also, it's about humanizing technology and kind of um, making sure that whatever technology is ever applied in any kind of a building, it has to create value for, for its users. And when we talk about workplace ex- technology then of course for the for the end users occupants employees in a building so how do we actually because from my experience and even today I'm working with large corporates in London for example and they've just moved into a new building and I've noticed over the last four weeks some of the technology that they've deployed hasn't quite functioned as well as they would have you know even just the basic technology like how we book meeting rooms and that kind of thing what's your experience with that I think in general, what we need to start looking at is, um, as I said, the value that the technology creates. So always first define the use cases that what do we actually want to achieve? Who will that benefit and and how? And then figure out, okay, what's the technology that would enable that? Because technology, I always say technology does not hold any value. The value is in the user adoption. So therefore, that's the step number two after the value. And and then once that technology is kind of defined, uh, then figure out that what kind of change management does this need? Um, Because if we talk about technology that we expect users to use, that means actually changing the current behavior. um, And therefore, you can't just see it as a technology deployment, but more of a change management process. So they need to go hand in hand. Uh, absolutely. How do you go through that change management process and what's the timeline typically? Uh, it, of course, varies. I think it varies more uh, depending on the point of departure as to how big of a change are we expecting in the behavior. So, for example, if uh, moving from, uh, let's say, fixed seating to a complete um, agile workplace, that is a huge change for the organization and therefore uh, requires, of course, then more more. Um, in-depth cultural context um, in, in the technology deployment. Um, if it's a smaller change, then of course not, not such a long timeline is needed. But in general, I think that requires um, 
starting from the beginning, thinking about what is it that we want to achieve in terms of the behavioral change as well, and and then work uh, in parallel with, let's say, the technology part of it, uh, integrations that are needed, information security, all that that goes with the, let's say, the tech part, but always in parallel, making sure that the the adoption of that technology is being being um, increased. So, so I think there are two parallel work streams that just need to need to function uh, together. Technology should be a driver in this productivity and happiness in offices versus anything else. Um, how do you define that, though? How how does workplace technology actually make us more productive and, and actually happier? I'm curious about that. That's a very good question. I think that's a hot potato in the industry at the moment as well as to how can you, because everyone wants to quantify this, how can you measure productivity increase and especially how can you then connect the dots directly to, let's say, revenue growth of a company or any other, let's say, hardcore metric. This is a very, very hot topic and uh, I could speak hours about it, but I'll try to (laughs) summarize it quickly. (laughs) So so basically, um, the, the influence in productivity, I believe, comes from different dimensions. So one is really the, let's say, the perceived increase in productivity due to having a more personalized environment and an environment where you feel more well. Um, That is, of course, a little bit difficult to quantify. um, But in the knowledge-based working uh, area, if you think about perceived productivity, then chances are you are more productive uh, either from a qualitative or a quantitative or an innovation or however you want to measure the dimension. So that's one, I think, this perception of productivity. Now, one could argue whether part of it is a placebo effect, possibly, um, but on the other hand, if that brings the outcome of you perceiving to be more productive, feeling more accomplished um, and so forth, it's it's only a positive uh, thing in the end. Then um, another, maybe an easier metric to understand is then time saved. So we all know that there are big points of friction in the workplace. In, in, for example, as I mentioned before, finding the right space for the right activity at the right time. So the real-time transparency of spaces and the agility to, to find what you need. Uh, so that's basically an easy metric to think about is if you save a few minutes each day or if each employee saves a few minutes each day and it reduces the, let's say, the um, uh, friction and, and dissatisfaction that might arise from trying to find something and being frustrated, um, then that should theoretically be time that is spent on something a little bit more productive and especially as it increases the, the the perception of happiness as well. So these are kind of examples of the metrics that are quite uh, easy to grasp in terms of um, increasing employee productivity. But I think what is most important is that based on research, I think Gensler did a research on it lately, that people want to be productive. So productivity is not uh, a negative metric or it's not a metric only from an employer perspective, but actually product, the feeling of productivity is one of the, the key uh, needs of employees in a workplace. Um, and if we start thinking about it ourselves, I think everyone can relate that, you know, when you feel that you've actually gotten whatever it is that you need to get done and you get it done swiftly, smoothly, um, you do feel very, very positive about it. So so when we start thinking back about productivity, it's actually a very um, sort of subjective, positive 
feeling. And I think that's the angle we need to take. And that's what we need to embrace with technology as well as to how can we foster that feeling. And then that will, of course, or should result in the, let's say, the business benefits uh, for the employer as well. But that's kind of the secondary uh, step. The first step is really embracing that positive feeling of of productivity of employees. Perhaps even the word productivity has just drawn a bit of negativity around it in recent months or even the last couple of years because productivity has come across as this obviously a, you know a business term and how how do we increase employees productivity so that businesses benefit but I don't think it's always that way I think actually you're right people naturally just want to be good at their jobs and do a good job and be better at their jobs surely Exactly. So I, I would love to see productivity as, let's say, a, a health and wellness uh, dimension as well, because I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in that. And, you know, of course, we can't um, close our eyes completely and be blind about the business benefits. But as said, that's then just the outcome from um, doing those personal benefits for the employees um, in, in terms of their, their um, general well-being and, and satisfaction and productivity as well. But you're true. You're very, very correct in the fact that it's uh, uh, it has a negative tone to it, um, and I guess that comes from, let's say, the not the knowledge-based working area so much, but more from the output-measured kind of working areas, such as I don't know, industrial. I'm curious though what your thoughts are then on so if if happiness and productivity is something that we want to achieve in a business, how do you achieve that when you have so many different personalities in a business? Yeah, that's a good question because I really believe that personalization is the key and not only personalization, but what we call personalization on scale. So that means that if you have a huge organization with thousands of employees and possibly even dispersed globally in different areas, uh, still should have technology means to cater for each of them. Of course, to a certain extent, uh, but but nevertheless, this kind of mindset of personalization on scale. Um, and, and therefore, I think technology is actually a fantastic lever to do so because with the modern technologies of learning based on um, preferences, based on feedback. So, for example, any clicks that you have done on the Workplace app, every single click is a feedback of either how you feel or what you want to do in terms of your spaces um, or your environment. Uh, And hence, when you kind of aggregate this data and possibly uh, converge that with other data sources, you actually can draw some very meaningful insights on how the organization is feeling as a whole in parallel to then adjusting and personalizing and maybe even predictively personalizing to that individual user. So thank uh, thanks to to you know modern digital technologies we're able to do this kind of driving personalization on scale uh, across a whole portfolio of buildings. And so what what kind of app is this? Yeah, so workplace apps, uh, there are several uh, around um, and they're mushrooming, I think, every single day. New ones are coming coming out and about in the market. So what we have at Siemens is is called Comfy, which has been already around since 2012. So uh, has already quite wide range of experience on on how people interact with buildings and what they require from workplace solutions. Um, The idea of such a workplace app is that you have one stop shop. So one very fluid interface for the users because the app game is brutal if your interface and the experience <laughs> isn't 
fluid, you, it will be dumped immediately after one try. So I have to really stress that, that that part is very, very important also in the workplace. The the users just don't accept anymore uh, just an employer app. They, they really expect the consumer grade cool um, and, and a fluid experience. And then within this app to have uh, different kinds of use cases, whether it uh, is about, let's say, the, the transparency of the spaces. So finding the phone booth that's actually available or finding the meeting room that uh, might be booked in the booking system, but is actually not used um, and so forth. So creating these kind of agility. So, so rooms and meeting rooms and huddle rooms, um, availability and booking, I think very, very important uh, use case. Also could be done in, on desk level, so for big hot desking areas uh, to have the transparency as where can I find a quick, quickly an available desk um, and possibly even book it if that's part of the culture. And then it's about finding points of interest, um, especially in big office spaces. There could be great services that are being um, uh, provided by the employer, but no one really knows how to use them um, or don't know where to find them. So really making all these points of interest available and visualized for the users. Um, and the points of interest could be something to do with emergency uh, routes or uh, some health-related equipment. It could be anything that could be uh, interesting. Uh, and definitely, of course, the bathrooms and the coffee corners <laughs> and, and whatnot. So really kind of helping people to navigate in the workplace and um, I mean, it can, it can range. There are several different um, uh, use cases that can be kind of pulled in and integrated into such a such an app. Uh, could be about filing work requests. So if something's broken, just to let's say increase the uptime of spaces um, because people are not generally very um, uh, enthusiastic about reporting workplace issues. So making that easy, easy, and therefore increasing the the general satisfaction and uptime. And it could be about having access control integrated so all you need is your mobile to get through the spaces or, or it could be about um, having just let's say general information that's available out there such as local transit or the lunch menus or any services around and have everything integrated into one platform so that's what we we firmly believe um, the let's say the role of workplace technology from the end user facing point of view as, as really deriving value. Then of course, as I said before, each click that an employee does in such an app should be um, made into, let's say, meaningful, actionable insights then for management. And by management, we can talk about HR or we can talk about workplace management or we can talk about uh, real estate uh, or facility management. So there are different audiences for whom you can really, really get valuable insights on the aggregated level of how people feel in the spaces and how do they use the spaces and what might they be interested in or what might they even even want more from the spaces. So this is really where I see the, uh, the lines of the physical and the, and the digital really, really blurring um, thanks to these workplace technologies. Absolutely. Wow. Um, I think I'm blown away by the features of that kind of app and how it really does you know, go straight to the employee and straight to the human working in that workplace and that environment. It's no longer just technology for the business, but it's technology for us, which is amazing. Exactly. I fully believe in that. And, and we, or, or a lot of the uh, workforce will be digital natives. So they will be expecting this kind of experiencing life through a digital lens, <laughs> as we call it. And uh, they, they do that everywhere in their private life as well. And, and it, it, that has come to the workplaces now as well, that employees just want to 
interact with seamlessly with with an app, for example, um, with their surroundings and with other people and with services. So it's multidimensional. But I'm I'm, I'm fully with you there that I think it's really about um, the end users and making their lives easier so that they can uh, focus on uh, and to do their best work, whatever the best work means for them. I've definitely noticed when I travel, I travel quite a bit and I've noticed even on the train lines and when I travel on, on trains between cities that, that that capability is also happening. So on my train line app, for example, it will tell me what carts are free and how many seats in each carriage are free and, and where everything is in terms of the cafe and the bathroom. So it does allow me to stand on the right place at the platform and just walk on and get a seat straight away. Exactly. And that creates a really great friction-free user experience for you to find what you need to and knowing already in advance that I know where I need to go, that you don't have to scramble with your luggage and, and you know, really try to find, find and, and uh, break out in a sweat <laughs> while doing it. This is what you really want to avoid in those situations because you are there to transit from one place to another as seamlessly as possible. And this exact same mindset, we talk about work-life blur, then we need to start making it a work-life blur in terms of experience and in terms of transiting from work and home and uh, so forth. Uh, so we need to apply this exact same mindset to the to the workplaces. And I think we're we're only, let's say, in the beginning of the all the possibilities that are out there uh, once this this market um, evolves even, even further. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on, you know, agile working and flexible working, because all of these co-working spaces are now cropping up around the world. And it means that as an employee, I no longer have to come into the HQ building. I can either work from home or work from a different environment because of the, you know, the benefits of technology. How, how do you manage that though? Because at the HQ building, if you need to use Comfy as the app, you know, we have such a seamless experience. But then as soon as we leave that environment and go either home or, or somewhere new, we may not have the same experience. What are your thoughts on that? Exactly. And I think that's really one of the benefits or let's say the attractive features of why people should come to the office is when they get those additional value concepts out of it and let's say additional connection to the to the services um, around. So I actually believe that these kind of workplace applications and solutions um, are playing a significant role in the game against pushing people to either working from home or from um, creative co-working spaces. So, so I see that as a, let's say, a, a tra- attraction point. Um, having said that, of course, these um, co-working spaces increase creativity. There are research around how, how people want to work in them and what are the effects of them. And I think it's a question of them then um, for the, let's say, the owners or the tenants of of real estate to think about what could they do better to um, foster some of those values that people perceive to have in in such spaces. Um, Whereas I'm I'm a big fan and and promoter of flexibility in in the workspace, whether it's about being able to work from home or or from another another location. Uh, But on the other hand, of course, that then creates a big issue of underutilization of a space uh, for those who actually own or or lease um, those spaces. And and therefore, um, this is also something we very much work with, with the corporate real estate teams is to get the 
meaningful insights into the utilization of the spaces. How much are they utilized and how um, from a qualitative standpoint? <laughs> and then from there kind of derive the actions as to what could be done, for example, via the app to push that utilization upwards. Because also we know that in parallel, based on research, that if people come together, this is where innovation happens. Innovation doesn't happen in a meeting room. It, meeting room, it happens through serendipity of, of people just coming together and exchanging ideas and, and, and so forth. And um, it's in everyone's interest to kind of try to foster that. So again, I see technology playing a, a role in, in this and, and hence driving the utilization, not from a hard metric point of view also of course taking that into account it's a financial metric uh, but more so from how do you foster the innovation culture and get people to kind of collaborate um, free willingly together so it's a it's an interesting um, angle and dimension uh, to mm -hmm. all of it and I think flexibility and extreme flexibility is here to stay and that will all only uh, grow uh, but then we need again some digital means to uh, make sure that we are not um, losing a lot of money by having just empty spaces that no one wants to use so that's also not in, in anyone's um, interest so it's really an optimization and a balancing act and I think um, something that will again, evolve a lot uh, based on how people actually want to, to work. Like you say, when you come home and work, you don't have the fluidity of technology here. And you know, most homes, even nowadays, don't have technology throughout their whole home. The most technology we have is probably our devices, laptops, phones, that kind of thing. So it's, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see how that goes, because ultimately, if we are moving towards agile working and flexible working more and more, we're going to have to be able to connect with our employees when they are at home in these different spaces in a better way. Exactly. It's a good question whether loneliness in the workplace becomes a, a growing issue with, let's say, the, the possibility to, to work um, remotely continuously and then again whether technology could provide means to to uh, decrease that um you know, not a very nice feeling for anyone to feel lonely, whether yeah. it's at home or at the office and, and kind of work, work around that dimension. That's the, let's say, the biggest benefit of agile working is that you can get the best out of both worlds. It just then means that for the, for the ones paying for the spaces, that they need to um, make sure that they can adjust and adapt to how people uh, feel most productive because usually based on how people want to work nowadays uh, it's it's somehow a mixture of the of the remote and the the being present and, and how can you then maybe anticipate that when are the times when people will be present and when not and so forth and and then drive let's say the the um, again the the fluid experience uh, both from the space perspective and then then on the other hand uh, drive up the the business metrics um, that will anyway be measured um, in the background. So we talked earlier um, about you kind of starting out in this accountancy world and now you've moved to more of, would you say, a HR role or, or was it a workplace technology role with HR role? Uh, well, the HR, let's say it's a dimension in it. Um, I used to work more in the HR role, but now it's more business development of actual technology solutions. So it has evolved quite uh, to the other end of the spectrum <laughs> even. But um, I, I did have for a short period of time a bit of an HR um, dimension in my role as well. And I think that has helped in, in understanding these kind of technologies in, in practice. 
Definitely. And I guess that's where this idea of contextualized intelligence comes into play. And this idea that we should probably be learning about different disciplines as well as the one that we're focused on. Is, is that right? Exactly. Uh, so I believe in contextual intelligence in, in several dimensions. So one is definitely that um, if we think about any kind of solution, whether it's technology solution or something something else, uh, we need, need to think about in which context will this be applied. So what's the, for example, if we now think about workplace technology, what's the business that's being run inside that company? What does that then mean in terms of the physical spaces, in terms of the technology, and especially in terms of blurring the lines between the two? So it's really about putting the context around um, the intelligence that could be found in technology. Now, similarly, I believe that when it comes to any kind of learnings in the workplace, so whether it's about applying design thinking or applying uh, innovation theories or even applying uh, finance, you really need to think about, again, what's the context where I want to apply it and then amend it accordingly. So there's no one size fits all, whether it comes to technology or whether it comes to any kind of um, learning or discipline, but you have to kind of um, get out of the one size misfits all into a more adaptable mindset. Uh, so I'm a firm believer in this kind of contextual intelligence in its um, all shapes and forms. With general curiosity about what's going on in the world and around you, you gather a lot of new learnings that you can then kind of filter and adapt in your current role. So I don't believe that everyone will change their roles um, significantly, but a lot of us will due to the world changing both from the way we work and the how like and what do we do and what tools do we have and so forth so so business models are changing and everything's changing and that means that we need to be at least um some some part of us needs to be curious about what could that mean and how could i enrich what i'm doing right now with these kind of new new um phenomenons that we see around um, I, I personally believe in continuous development i i like to gather information around me and kind of just um, see where that takes me in terms of um, the thoughts and the mindsets, more from the mindset perspective than, let's say, the hardcore hardcore work perspective. Um, but having said that, it's also a daunt or can be a daunting idea uh, for some to think about, oh, now I need to actually start developing. Um, so I like to kind of think of a very low threshold into development, and that could be just getting ideas of conversations, ideas of browsing LinkedIn or watching the news um, or listening to brilliant bod podcasts, <laughs> so anything anything of the sort, and then kind of um, get the information in, in that way. Of course, there are still great development programs and trainings uh, that can be done, but if that feels a, as a daunting step, Step, then, then I think just with general curiosity, you get very far. Yeah, I agree. I think for some, it can be quite daunting. You know, some people just want to come in and do the job that they studied or the job that they were trained for and, and leave the office knowing that they've done a great job and don't really need to tap into any other industries or subjects. But I think for us to be able to collaborate better in a workplace, it certainly is important to understand the point of view of other people and other teams and other groups as well. So I think, like you say, it's a combination of both. 
Exactly. And uh, I think that boils down to empathy, which is also one of the big topics that I like to almost preach about, <laughs> uh, because I really believe that the role of empathy is so important in, in any kind of success. So whether it's about designing a solution that is um, that sticks with, with the uh, users, or whether it's about communicating to another person um, in, in a team or in a, in a workplace or, or wherever, uh, I think it all in the end boils down to empathy, which is really understanding the other person's standpoint and then communicating accordingly. Uh, so in its simplest form, cognitive form of, of empathy, I, I believe that drives um, a lot of positive things and drives any kind of success uh, in life. How do, we, how do we foster that kind of behavior in the workplace though? Because that's sometimes not easy for, for some people. I think, again, creating awareness on the topic is is a good starting point. Uh, that's what I've personally done a lot as well, is to just create awareness around and demystify uh, the topic of empathy, because it's still seen as a very soft skill. And it's about, you know, the the, the mushy and fuzzy uh, aspects of being <laughs> nice. And, and that's not the case. It's really actually quite a hardcore skill. Um, and um, when you kind of frame it accordingly, then people start to realize what kind of a broad effect um, empathy has in business and in personal life and in everything and anything in between. Um, And I think once you kind of create that awareness and start thinking a little bit differently about empathy and empathetic workplaces and so forth, um, that that starts to create the change because it's a mindset thing. It really is. Oh, absolutely. I think for, for me personally, I've traveled since I was a child um, and continue to travel with my job and just personally as well. And I think the the world of travel has made me an incredibly empathetic person in general life. And then also I've been able to take that to the workplace and, and with the people that I work with as well, because it allows me to understand different perspectives, different points of views, different cultures, different behaviors as well. Exactly. And in the end, I mean, you said you have your own business. That's what probably sells is the fact that you are able to frame uh, whatever you are doing (laughs) according to that context. And again, we get back to this kind of contextual intelligence, and that requires a certain level of of cognitive empathy, uh, if not emotional empathy. I think emotional empathy is a plus always because that builds bridges between people, the human to human factor. But even if if, uh, a person is not very strong in the emotional empathy part, the cognitive uh, side of it is really what creates uh, also the business results and business success. So have you got a couple of thoughts then or tips on how we can foster this behavior of empathy? I think it's really about um, communication. So yeah. also, if, if I was the, let's say, the big head honcho and leader of an organization, I would make sure that whatever is the message I want to deliver to the audience is delivered in a way that they understand it. So even if you talk about, let's say, the mission, vision and purpose of an organization, starting really from the top, top, uh, it's really about framing that message. So communication, 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 cannot stress it enough. That's really key. And by communication, I don't mean that it needs to be the polished, um, beautiful uh, presentations. That's, of course, a plus uh, and and a value. But in the end, it's about um, the messaging, whether that is something that is understood and therefore creates the ripple effect across an organization. And that is, again, it's empathy, even though we don't speak about it as being empathy. How as employees or just people in an office, is there something that we can do to to foster that behavior? Or is 
is it does it come more just from the leaders bringing it, bringing that to the forefront I think it's everyone's responsibility, really, uh, to make sure that whatever uh, you are doing and communicating is understood uh, by the by the um, receivers of that message. So, so whatever context uh, that is. Uh, but then, in in the in general, I believe in in building, let's say, empathetic workplaces. So, um, workplaces that kind of. Uh, feel or that you feel that the workplace is understanding your needs so even though the workplace doesn't necessarily communicate to you but you feel from the environment that it is uh, understanding your needs and I I think that's um, really really important as well as an aspect of let's say the workplace design whether it's physical or technical um, to to kind of foster uh, that feeling feeling of empathy Definitely. That's a great point. Let's bring that then back to the workplace technology. And I'm curious to know, I guess, with all this data that you've been collecting when people do things in the workplace and connect with the app or any apps in the workplace, is there anything that you're seeing specifically that people want from their workplace in terms of the design and what what they're looking for and how they want to feel? I think in general that that depends. So what we often see is before some sort of workplace technology is being deployed, uh, employees are complaining or are dissatisfied with the lack of spaces. So they feel that there's never enough of a certain type of space. Usually that's a huddle room or a a meeting room. Uh, So there's a misperception of the actual reality of how much spaces are available at a certain time and how people feel if spaces are available. And just by connecting those two, let's say, sources of information together and and gaining that transparency and and enabling uh, employees to act upon that transparency, you get rid of a huge point of friction in terms of the, the work spaces. So I'd say by far, most what I hear is people wanting more space but actually that hasn't been the problem there has been spaces it's just that they haven't been able to find them in a fluid way and you get that moment of dissatisfaction in between when you try to find it and that creates this negative perception of not having enough of spaces Um, especially as as we discussed before with the flexibility of people working from here there and on projects and and different offices and home and so forth um, this is even even more so increasing the importance of getting that real-time transparency Uh, the problem i see out there is that often this transparency of spaces and, and the occupancy or utilization of spaces is seen more of a management thing. So there's a lot of solutions out there that, that bring you that, let's say, to the attention of the management that, oh, okay, we have only 50% utilization of our of our desks, but then what? So therefore, I'm a big promoter of putting this transparency also in front of the users, because then you actually start driving different kind of behavior in the spaces and hence get rid of the actual friction point, which is on the employee's end. That's very interesting. So you're, are you saying, yeah, I guess you're saying we, we need to, this data that we're collecting or this information that we're collecting and the design that we're creating, we need to be more transparent and actually more communicative with our employees about what's happening. Exactly. Uh, cannot stress you enough how important it is to communicate to the employees about why these kind of technologies are, are being uh, deployed in the first place. Because what you often get is 
uh, with technology as it, the world stands today, people might get a feeling of intrusiveness. So why do we have, for example, sensors in place? Or is it to track me and my behavior? But when you actually give this knowledge to the users to say, look, the sensors are in place not to individually track anyone, but to give you the transparency as, as to for you to find what you need to find um, the right kind of space for the right activities or really the activity-based working uh, mentality then you get a very different reaction from the employees as well as to, okay, now we understand why all this is being deployed and, hey, I actually benefit from it. And then as a second step, as I said, the, the employer uh, benefits from it. But that's that's number two. Number one is really the benefit for, for the employees and the end users. I think it's an, a really exciting time at the moment. I, well, I'm certainly excited and it sounds like you are as well. Oh, definitely. I think it's a wonderful time to to live through an experience, and I I can only uh, try to imagine all the all the different uh, let's say <laughs> opportunities and applications and values that can be captured um, for for especially the individuals in the future. So I'm I'm very excited to be uh, riding this wave. We've talked about quite a few different topics there, Elisa, which is absolutely fantastic and and brilliant. So thank you so much for that. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you wanted to briefly bring up or mention to the wider world? I think we've covered actually quite nicely, uh, surprisingly nicely, everything ranging from empathy <laughs> all the way to technology and, and you know, uh, sensors even, I think we mentioned. So we're really uh, gathering the whole, let's say, uh, span of, of things. And I, I think that's, that's exactly um, how I hope people look at workplaces as well. It's really the, the physical, it's the cultural, it's the technological, and it's everything. And how does that kind of mesh and blur together to, to create the best environments for everyone? That's, that's really what I, what I hope to come out of this podcast as well. Well, definitely that has what has come out of the end much, much more than I even could have expected. So thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be part of it.